we did not mention Perfect Circle once. <laughs> oh, from Murmur, yeah. <laughs> When the whole unplug thing happens and people like the, the MTV crowd first heard Perfect Circle, that was such a fucking huge moment because you had all these people who were like the younger brothers and sisters of college kids in the 80s. Perfect Circle was like the song. I mean, that it was their most dramatic, honest, naked, you know, piece of music. Yeah, just speaking from the time that Perfect Circle was a was a big deal, there was always the song you put on a tape for a girl. Yep. I, I never really thought of it as legit exactly, but then when uh, Automatic for the People came out, I remember thinking, oh, okay, so this is like a thing they've been wanting to do for a long time. You look at the, the dirges. We talked about Feeling Gravity's Pull. Another song I wanted to mention was I Remember California, which was a completely... I, I love that song. I, at the time... I love it. At the time, I couldn't stand it. When I go back to that now, I'm like, you know, they actually pulled this off. You know, this is like full circle, Feeling Gravity's Pull, this... this uh, it's just, it's another mode, and R.E.M. had a really yeah. hard time coming up with other modes. I mean, that kind of gets us, like, something that's really weird about Green in particular, where it's, like, half of it's bubblegum and half of it's, you know, like, weird art ballads. <laughs> I think the Untitled 4R, whatever song that closes Green, that to me was probably the most melodramatic, you know, emotionally overloaded song, I think, since Perfect Circle. Every time I think of that song or hear that song, I think of Carrot Rope by Pavement. Oh, yeah, I don't know it comes in at the end, right? After, like, the, the very grim song. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not crazy about either of those songs, but I think that there, there's some sort of thing that they became friends in my head and so i don't there's just something that I, that seems similar about them yeah i mean there's a, there's a rhythmic similarity between like both of those endings they're also both disappointing no they're not uh, that untitled song is fucking great <laughs> yeah <laughs> when i was a kid we're talking about perfect circle being one of the you know the mixtape songs that you you know you always put on a mixtape for some girl you were falling for in puppy love on the flip side of that <laughs> like the first girl that ever broke up with me in this hugely publicized entire school <laughs> everyone was staring at me and everyone knew the song that like got me back on my feet again <laughs> <laughs> and and like it's <laughs> so corny you're like a teen soap opera character my go-to song was their cover of superman <laughs> oh, oh yeah Mike Mills can be Superman. Then <laughs> Mike Mills 
was the big joke of the band for us in high school because he was he seemed like such an an anomalous figure in the band. Well, it's because he looked like he was he looked like he was nine years old. Yeah. And he it it just it it, there there developed this whole backstory that that my friends made up about like where like Mike Mills's problems and his disco obsession and stuff It's very high school kind of thing. But uh, it was a, it was like in our vocabulary, like we just use Mills as an adjective for something that was kind of dopey. You know? <laughs> We've been trying to get back and, and get into out of time because it is such yeah. a landmark it, record, but it's fucking terrible. It is an irredeemable piece of shit. Apart from like me and Honey and Country Feedback, <laughs> both stuck at the end of the record. They're the only songs I can tolerate. I loved Losing My Religion, Twin Peaks. All those Anton Corbin videos, the whole like blue, gold, bronze, red shit. It was <laughs> it was an absolute zeitgeist moment for anybody as a teenager at that time. That song was it was beautiful. It was it was very feminine. And I love that about it because, you know, we were still stuck with fucking hair metal, you know, most of the time. Yeah. By the time that album came out, we had all sort of muscled down the reality of of R.E.M. becoming this big band with Green. Like, basically, Stand was what the clincher was, that song. I love Stand. I think Stand is a fucking great song. Oh, I like I like Stand plenty, but it, but in uh, in my world, it was kind of like, that was that was what made us realize, like, when you're hearing that at Kroger, and you're kind of going, all right, well, they don't play my music in Kroger. This is a true story. This kid, Greg, was the first kid to have bangs, like Tony Hawk bangs, right? Right, yep. He had an Echo and the Bunnyman t-shirt that his brother had given him. He was like huge into REM and wearing it on his sleeve, and this is in seventh grade. What, was like 1988 or something? Yeah, 88. I'm in homeroom with him. We're talking about REM. I'm talking about how I love REM. I love Eponymous. I love Dead Letter Office and, you know, Crazy. Did you know Crazy's actually by this band called Pylon? We never. <laughs> I heard Pylon, I think, 15 years later. But anyway, so. <laughs> use it anyway, man. Yeah, use it anyway. Why not? So we're sitting there having this, like, you know, tit for tat as, like, 13-year-olds or whatever. And he literally goes into this story where he's like, the song Stan was written by a fan who won a contest in an <laughs> REM fanzine. <laughs> To have their song put on an REM album, it's not a real REM song. <laughs> and it was on MT- it was on MTV and it was on the radio. It was this huge hit. That's that's how do I still have that memory from my childhood of this kid <laughs> constructing this elaborate denial of of you know the commercial appeal of Stand. So when- about uh, out of time, it's, it's funny. Like I would agree with you that it's the the least of the Barry era records, but I like that record. I like it fine. Like Me that. too. I, mean, I think there's a few songs on it. But there's there's some weird decisions. Like, you know why you like it, Elliot? And you know why I think a lot a lot of fans like it, and I can't see it is because it's fables. It is in so many ways. Oh yeah, it's, it's it a, is. It's an echo of fables. It's their major label fables. Oh jeez, yeah. no, it follows no the same arc. It, it, it's the same point of the arc. It's, it's sort of fables because it's like a transitional record. Like they're coming out of one thing into another. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think it kind of has the same has a certain sort of like relational behavior in terms of their whole catalog or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just such a different I mean, it's uh, Fables has a very consistent feel all the way through out of time kind of moves around for you through a few different things. KRS-One is not on Fables. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the big weird <laughs> decision made on that one. You know what, Elliot? Here's why you're wrong. Radio song is can't get there from here. Hey, mm-hmm. I can't find that on the radio. <laughs> I don't have to sit with this one a while. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Say what? Hey, hey, hey. Let me do that with you. Hey, hey, hey. 
to me, Green and Document are complete sister records, just the way Murmur and Reckoning are. The thing that kills me without a time is automatic for the people, like the amount of ground they cover on this. You have this this elegant maturity and sweetness follows. You have star like Starmy Kittens on that record, right? Yep. You then you have these these cornball radio singles, Sidewinder Sleeps Tonight, Man on the Moon, which are good fucking songs. I mean, it's not I'm not the biggest fan of them necessarily i think i think the the chorus of sidewinder sleeps tonight is beautiful i love it i think the the uh, the thing that the album that out of time reminds me most of is life's rich pageant i think um oh you know i think that's true too because they're both like life's rich pageant is it's always like this record that's kind of like an ep then the, but you had to like attach all these other songs to and it's kind of thrown together and i think I'm not sure if like out of time is totally thrown together, but there's there's definitely songs that are kind of like, well, we had Belong and Low sitting around, and yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind of like like and the songs go into weird like the directions that aren't compatible with each other. How long had Hyena Ever, been around for? Forever. You know, they've been yeah. playing yeah, that's for years. Like I have a, like the like the Reckoning, yeah, at least Reckoning. They, that's their writer's block record. The same way Pixies, Bossanova. the same way Bossa Nova is the closet cleaning record because it, you know Charles can't write anymore and they were writing in the studio mm. and it was all shit that's life switch pageants the first time rem does that and it's it's like they're it, they did too much of it you're right you're right when you say there's like an ep of polished really great shit on there and you know when we we talked last time about life and how to live it i forgot that in Unpl- on unplugged the intro to fall on me is michael stipe saying this is my favorite rem song ever this may well be my favorite song uh in the rem catalog and here it is there's a problem feathers iron bargain buildings weights and pulleys feathers hit the ground before. he sticks with that opinion for a pretty long time i mean i think he has a few of them but that's that's it's one of those songs that just all of a sudden you're walking around and you're like fuck it's in my head like where, how did that happen yeah. i don't know it's, it's just yeah. a perfectly composed piece of music and i think it's like the, the, if you had to like boil down REM to like one song in their catalog is probably that one. Like that kind of gets at like everything about the band. The only R.E.M. R.E.M. I had heard to that date was the first song I ever heard by them, which was Pretty Persuasion. Yeah. And and Superman. Well, how, how did you hear Pretty Persuasion? Shaw Brown, who was <laughs> this gangly, very tall, unusually tall guy from my town. His brother was in my grade and we were friends. And he was sort of in the process of reluctantly sharing his musical interests with his brother, Scott. And so Scott saw that I was interested in that. And uh, convinced his brother to make me a mixtape that was all U2 <laughs> and all R.E.M., uh, but not much R.E.M. Like I say, it was only two songs. It was uh, Pretty Persuasion and uh, and Superman. Maybe he was too cool to put Fall on me on there. When I finally heard it, what struck me is that the way people were talking about it, I thought it was just going to be this jump by Van Halen. It was just going to be like this <laughs> undeniable, like, I thought it was going to be poppy or something. And it was not at all. And I was kind of like, it took me a while to kind of ingest that it's... No, no, this is like, this is a slow burn kind of song, you know? Pretty Persuasion is like the boys don't cry of their catalog. It's like, it's like Color Me Impressed. That's a better analog for it, that replacement song. 
it, it's a song that like everybody passed around. It was so catchy, but it, it, it sounded like shit. So it wasn't going to be on the radio. It has that like slick, fluid bass line climb in it. That's just like, it's one of those kind of up jump college upbeat songs that has some kind of distant emotional character to it. I don't know. What, what do you think about that one, Matthew? I don't think I really ever had like super strong feelings about that one. I like it a lot. To me, this is kind of like a song in the middle of Reckoning. And I like Reckoning. Like, it's this kind of, like, overall experience, and, like, the ones I like the most would be, like, Harbor Coat and South Central Rain. I remember, like, even when I was doing, like, the blog, like, I, I probably don't have a particularly good entry for Pretty Persuasion. I don't really remember writing about it. That song was sort of, like, played out in my circle of friends. It was, like, just like heaven. It's like, oh, God, you're not putting that on the tape. Like, we've heard it 150 million fucking times. <laughs> the thing that funny, like, funnily enough, anecdotally reinforced that was when Nirvana got big, they were always kind of saying, like, no, R.E.M. fucking rules. R.E.M. was, like, a hugely important band for us before they actually meet and it becomes this whole fucked up thing. And Courtney Love had said, like, she was like, I don't – she said something to the effect of, like, if you didn't put – Pretty Persuasion on a mixtape, like, I don't want to know you or something like that. I don't know what it was, but she she basically <laughs> called out that song in the exact same kind of context that I had had. My experience of that song was like, if you're in the know on the replacements, you're not just listening to Alex Chilton, you've burned in Color Me Impressed. And the, and the thing with R.E.M. was, it's not just the one I love, you've also, you're really familiar with Pretty Persuasion to the point where you're like almost sick, right. sick of it. Yeah, yeah. bit younger and like my you know my own young teenage years you know fall at a different point in the band's career like i think like my pretty persuasion would probably be either crushed with eyeliner and tongue and my perfect circle would be like this night swimming or find the river I, I, like autobiography people is like this there's definitely upbeat songs on it but it's mostly like this solemn record well the, it's because the it's because the downcast songs are so fucking strong i mean it starts with drive I, that's it's the funny, lead like that was low, the lead uh, single that was the lead single right yeah maybe maybe I walked into a bar the other day and they were playing Drive, and it was like, it, it just felt like, okay. I mean, like, I'm always happy to Jesus hear that song. Jesus Christ. It like, it's a weird song to come into a situation. If I wanted like, to okay. do a bar playing Drive, god damn, I'd be like, I'm, do you guys serve in heroin? Like, what the fuck? go back to out of time for a second it's hard to get a consensus on that album like different people like different things from it on a fan level country feedback is definitely the, the most popular i like that song okay i i think one thing that sticks in my craw about that song is the swearing that, that that doesn't help <laughs> just the name of it sounded like the kind of thing like when a band is working on a song and you have a sort of in band shorthand name for no, it. But that, that is literally why it's called. No, it's but it's so yeah, it is so yeah. odd. It's so lazy that it's the perfunctory like the A song or the battery song. Before Michael Stipe ever wrote a lyric or a song, that song was called Country Feedback. Well, it's country and it's got feedback. They shouldn't be that lazy. It's kind of a cheap like our town show the rafters move. And I <laughs> come to me with excuses. been through fate 
psychics Fuck all I was central I had control I lost my head We were kind of talking about R.E.M. from the perspective of how hugely famous they are now, like that referendum's over. But while they were working and while they were a functioning, growing, increasingly successful band, the first record where they try and flip the switch is Document. And my contention is the thing that like revealed their path forward to becoming an arty, inventive band was seeing that a band just as stereotypical and typic as them was the Smiths do How Soon Is Now. And that's what Finest Work Song is to me. It's an answer in a way to something like How Soon Is Now. I never thought of it before you mentioned that the other day, but yeah, I can, I can, I can see that. I think the character of the songs are pretty different, and the, certainly the subject matter is different. But I, I know, I still know exactly what you mean when you say that. It's, I mean, it's a lot in the drums, I guess. On top of a four-four, there's a sixteenth shimmy, which is that guitar loop. Um, and, and they did the same thing. There's a, there's a 16th beat warble underneath finest work song, which is like the most arena rock four, four thing you could ever, you know, the gated drums just only reinforce it. And the, and the change is just like, it is Metallica. If that's announcing we're going to shake it up, we're going to change, we're going to evolve. But then the rest of the record, honestly, it's even less inventive if you really look at it than Light Switch Pageant. It, it represents like a big change for them, um, not just because it was a big deal seller and it was produced in a different way, but it just, yeah, it seemed like they were taking a different, they had definitely evolved. The rest of the stuff is a wire cover, is Exumi McCarthy, it's very typical REM, but Fireplace is like, holy shit, they're playing in a different tempo. Like, this is that whole second side of Document is. is is very interesting REM territory. Not all of which... kind of a bleak tone. Yeah. As soon as you get past the one I love, it drops off a fucking cliff. It's really weird that way, yeah. I guess my favorite on that record is probably Disturbance of the Heron House. And I think that's that's just like a really like... This is REM. This is what an REM song does. It's so well composed. It's like life and, and how to live. Really like the sound it gets on it. Yeah. It's like life and exactly. how to live it. It really is. It's it's it. They're so comfortable with it, but they're also having fun. And there's the difference, like when they're comfortable and they're just comfortable, and then they're they're comfortable and they're enjoying it. And that like, there's no question. I think disturbance of the Heron House are really enjoying themselves. And I think Exumi McCarthy too. It's not as I don't think it's as yeah. good a song, but in the first part we talked about Wire because they cover Strange. It's a fucking terrible cover. If you're a Wire fan, it completely yeah, I agree. It misses. Yeah. It. Well, I mean, it, it, it's it's like the thing that they were doing all through the mid to late '80s is taking like you know these cool art rock songs and making them as bubblegum as humanly possible. Yeah, and that's the one that made the record. I mean, like, but they did it to uh, see no evil by Television. Uh. They did it with Fun Time. Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, a, you know, I guess Academy Fight Song, that, that's probably not as changed as it could have been. But, you know, they just kind of took a lot of these songs and just bubblegummed them. Which and is... I really like that. I, I, I think it's kind of like a... But look at, how the, look at how they treated singles early on. You know, Moon River, King of the Road, Pale Blue Eyes, like all those Velvets covers, There She Goes Again. You know, like 
they were so much of a songbook band early on and it, it peaks with the click with Superman. Um, and then after that, it becomes like, well, we're entitled to just retranslate this shit. And it reminds me of this thing Rob Mitchum said. It's a song that's written about a man, right? But you change all the lyrics and all the gender words to to be the other gender. And he just he just had this great thing. He just said, "Never do this." End paragraph. <laughs> and it was like that, <laughs> like th- that kind of entitlement to fuck with a song. That's where they cross the line. I think was strange, and it, it, it just always annoyed me. But see, like from from my perspective, the thing I like about that is one, in some cases you're kind of like taking all the macho out of the song or taking all the coolness out of a song. And then on the other hand, you're, you're pointing to these songs that I think a lot of people maybe at the time, uh, you know, maybe not like the coolest people, but a lot of people like, oh, that's like a weird art fan. And it's pointing out, oh, these guys like wrote like real catchy songs. And they're kind of, maybe, I don't know, it's probably like the, maybe the, you can kind of look at it as, presumptuous look like we're rescuing this song from the band that made it i think the problem with that is that wire had done stuff like x lion tamer and mannequin that is so straight up pop pretty long time before i ever heard for you know the 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 good stuff (laughs) no the the four rock eno albums from the mid 70s and the mike thorne albums mike Mike thorne is their eno right but like listen i was like oh wait a second like wire like i I think i went a long time thinking that wire was this like sweet generous band like you know they're like you know they're all the but it's like oh you guys were just kind of doing eno I get it now. Uh, and I never ever mentioned that. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Wire is <laughs> Wire Wire is kind of the oasis to Roxy Music as the Beatles. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. <laughs> and I love I love Oasis so <laughs> missing in 154 half the music that's been recorded since just doesn't even need to fucking exist we talked about the concept of rarities right at the top in the first one which is the sense that rem doesn't have them um because they're on a major you know whatever and they had these compilations come out and elliot mentioned the apocryphal theme from two steps onward <laughs> yeah uh, that song is that, that song is great man i i this is a weird I, this is a weird outtake from document right yeah uh, it's kind, of, uh, well, it's kind of like in that weird, like, I think it was like one of those songs that was kind of, they played a lot before Document, and some of the songs kind of went to Document and others didn't. Like Oddfellows and Lightning Hopkins were like uh, live staples for a long time before that record came out. Like that's kind of like, that's kind of like their thing up through uh, the Green Tour where they're always playing. I mean, also on the Monster Tour, they're playing a lot of hi-fi stuff, but you know, they, they always have like a song that's going to be on like something else later. Theme from Two Steps Onward, I know there's a studio version. That was the one I would always look for, like if, the, if I wasn't sure what to get, you know. 
And because uh, there's so many live versions of that song that are just really good. While there are X number of non-album REM songs that are very good, is not a lot. It's like there's some bands where they have like a, like they have a deep bench of B sides. Yeah. Like uh, like Pavement has like a pretty deep bench of B sides and. It's baked. Well, it's ba- it's baked into who Pavement is. Pavement is a B side band. They only wanted to write singles so they could write B sides. Yeah, it's 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 it is literally the stuff that they were like, this is not good enough to be on the record. Exactly. Like especially if as it exists on something like Spotify or Apple Music or you know whatever, it's just like, hey, you know, you're making your REM playlist. Here's the stuff. Yeah, and then it ends with this really crazy, fucked up, eight and a half minute jam session which is Pete Buck playing the riff from South Central Rain interminable, like for, it's literally eight and a half. Oh yeah, it's time after time. Oh right? no, it's, well, no, that's right, it's time after time and then he transitions into the riff from South Central Rain and but then then Stipe starts singing Red Rain by Peter Gabriel. It is, he was like, he probably just, later. yeah, he just bought it. The new song, you know, you just start singing a Tame Impala song. <laughs> you would have thought that this tape was taken out of a fucking tape player by Michael Stipe right after they did it and like handed to you. It's that raw and fucking just bizarre. It's it's such a great example of like what they treated the encore section of their shows like in that era. Oh, it's like a poetry reading. One of the weird things about the way they structured shows in the 80s and they dropped this after the 80s is they'll be like, they would have like three encores. So the first encore would be pretty planned and it's kind of like, you know, that's when they, like we're going to play Fall on Me then. And then the second encore would probably have more covers in it and then the third encore would just be like, whatever. And like that, that time after time thing is clearly from the whatever part. It's probably the last thing they did before like they ended. I don't, like almost certainly because I think uh, Mills and Barry aren't even there. It's just Michael and Peter. Going back to the complete rarities thing, do you know how many tracks are on the Warner version, 88 to 2011? How many? 131. <laughs> <laughs> and how many of those are versions of Finest Work Song? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm pretty sure there's like eight or nine Man on the Moons. There's three versions of Shiny Happy People in a row, three remixes, and they're all completely unlistenable. From these two compilations, and like those are those are fun to listen to. It's just like, oh, it's like a really good REM live record. What is their perception of the customer for this release? The first two songs are the cover of Fun Time and the cover of Ghost Rider. So right up the front, they're like, oh, and then Sid Barrett too. So like, oh, well, we yeah, co- no, this is this is purely chronological, and those are just like. Uh, fan club singles. Right. So they're like, well, when we got signed to a major, the first thing we did was cover Iggy Pop, Suicide, and Sid Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you guys didn't sell out at all. Which, which yeah. Sid Barrett song is it? Dark Globe. Is it Dark the Globe. One, the, I, I remember that being the Sassy Magazine Flexidisc single. Yeah, there you go. Elliot, you, 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 you bought Sassy Magazine with pretty surprising regularity. Well, you know, I had to keep up, man. You know who was on the cover of Sassy? Famously, Juliana Hatfield. 
I'm not surprised. I bet Evan Danzo too. <laughs> uh, Why are you bringing that up? I don't know. I don't know. I just, uh, you know, you're going to, you're going to oats me with fucking Blake babies. Like that was a national band, my friend. That was not some local. They were on MTV, buddy. Oh, baby, baby, like your lips. I mentioned I brought up the Smiths, but we didn't really dig into it. The Smiths are just as samey as R.E.M. This is the thing for me. The Smiths sound, all the Smiths songs sound exactly the fucking same. And I love all of them, but it's a Smith song. 80s Smiths and, 80, and 80s R.E.M., yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, every R.E.M. song, as much as we are like, wow, Feeling Gravity's Pull sounds so different. It, to anyone else in the world, it sounds exactly the same as every other song they ever wrote. That's probably true. And, I, I mean, <laughs> The Smiths is the same thing. It's like, try to ask anybody in the world whose engagement with music is just kind of like anecdotal. Ask them to distinguish between these things, Take Time and Girl Afraid. It's not going to happen. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, I, I can tell you right now, like, I like I am close enough to the R.E.M. catalog where all the records are very distinct but i am distant enough from the smith's catalog like now every smith song is basically the same and some are better than others yeah the 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 one smith song that sounds really different is how soon is now and uh it's their worst song you know <laughs> what <laughs> it is that, that is ultra contrary opinion Elliot. oh it's terrible <laughs> it's trash that song I, is fucking I mean, garbage if there's any band i feel i have deeper feelings about than rem it's the smiths and so i'm probably I, I probably have a very uh self-involved opinion of that song but death of a disco dancer that's the fucking jam where they were breaking out like that record is their okay computer oh i yeah, that's well i don't I, I honestly don't know if i've ever heard okay computer but i don't i i know that that's a good album. I told you Elliot was good for controversy, Matthew. This guy's yeah. literally going to tell people he's never listened to OK Computer. Yeah, the audience will be like, Ryan, you don't like How Soon Is Now, and you never heard OK Computer? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we, we kind of touched on Out of Time, um, and we all, I think, felt that that was a strange, hollow sort of exercise where they didn't have, like, kind of, that was a period where they didn't have their weapons, let's say. But Green, I don't understand why Green is not looked at as, like, their fucking definitive record. People are more likely to say document is. If I had to choose between those two, I don't know which one I would go with. But I think you're you, you're probably on to something because Green covers like a wider spectrum of what they do than document does. And people think you know just because of stand, it's like Get Up is fucking great. That that weird carrot. Oh, like, Get Up is one of the best. That carousel. Like, that's what, I, I think Get Up is the best of all their bubblegum songs. And and the ballads like you know World Leader Pretend You're There. Everything they're they're a little bit hoary, but. I love hair shirts. Yeah, hair shirts fucking awesome. <laughs> Elliot. <laughs> who the fuck is, who the fuck is ever said hair shirt is awesome? Like what the fuck? That is, that is so bad. <laughs> I am not the type of dog that could keep you waiting for no good reason. Run a carbon black test on my job. You will find there is something about document that sort of points backwards and some and then green sort of points forwards. Turn you inside out is a fucking Led Zeppelin song. Oh, I love turn you inside out. Oh my god. I can turn you inside out. 
They tried to rock with Finest Work Song, but it's it's just so labored and not danceable. I think the thing with Finest Work Song is like their rock is in quotations and they're kind of taking it and kind of like tipping it over and be like, well, why don't we turn like a rock beat into this sort of like industrial thing, but not industrial as in like nine inch, what would become Nine Inch Nails, but more like you know, literally working in a factory. What if we make it like literally a Marxist song? I, I feel like that uh, one of the things I like about I'll turn you inside out is that it's it seems like Peter Buck is getting to exactly. play the guitar he's wanted to and play Orange, for Cru- a very Orange long Crush time, is the same know? thing. Bill Berry's getting to fucking bash the skins. Yes, it, when you put it that way, like Orange Crush is like everybody in that band's happy because like Mills has got, has got that bass line, he's he's, slapping he's it, wailing, and Stipe's got everybody. Everybody in that band shines on Orange Crush. It's so weird that Orange Crush that was the that was the first single off that yeah, album, right? That's like a, a that's a strange choice, but I I don't I don't know what like what the alternative choice would be. I mean, maybe it wasn't a strange choice. Clearly, the fact that the band called Pop Song eighty nine Pop Song eighty nine, the band thought this was their single. The label is like stand. If you take that song, it says the exact conversation we just had about can't can't get there from here. If you if remove the video from the equation and just listen to Stand, it's a really fucking good pop song. And it's not n- nerdy. It's not yeah. like the visual of him with the long hair and his head tilted sideways being like, here's my shit-eating grin. I'm on a major. Imagine you're in high school and you start a band and the guitarist is the rich kid who has the guest house you can play in and has the eight track. You can't ever tell him that something he's doing is sucks or is annoying. Yeah. <laughs> he comes in with a roto vibe in a, in a fucking wah pedal and he just starts jumping around and it's turned up to 11 and you can't even fucking hear yourself thinking. He's not looking at anybody fucking happy as a pig and shit. Monster is what happens when Pete Buck says, I'm going to quit. What are the good songs on Monster? I'm, I'm asking this completely unloaded question. Just asking, what are the good songs on Monster? Like, I really don't. I'm looking at the track list and I, so, I'm just kind of like, I don't really know this stuff. I guess if I was going to point you towards something, it would be kind of like the, the back quarter of it where the record really goes into like this weird uh it's it's kind of like a very like early 90s theme is like being obsessed with people and stalking people so all of the songs are either about <laughs> being stalked or being obsessed about the last couple songs on record uh, circus envy and you are probably two of my favorites
the, the last record was their last REM record. I don't even know what it's called. Pops but, now. And was it, uh, did it like sign off in some way? Oh, yeah. I mean, the whole album is basically a concept album about ending R.A.M. Like, all the songs are kind of, like, referring to other R.A.M. songs. Like It's funny because, like, when that record came out, uh, people did not know R.A.M. was breaking up. R.A.M. didn't announce that they broke up until, I'm going to say, like, a year later, like, you know, or thereabouts. Um, and I think a lot of the initial reaction to that record, including my own, was like, oh, it's weird. Like, they're kind of... You know, doing like a like a greatest hits of new songs. You know, they're kind of a, deliberately going back to all these things. Like, there's a song that sounds like Reckoning. There's a song that sounds. Um, I mean, the very last song is like, it's which is not that great. Um, has Patti Smith on it, and it's kind of like a sequel to Ebo the Letter. Or a lot of the songs are like about like the early days of REM, and it's it's an interesting way to end your band. I think it's a pretty decent record and you know it's, it's not one of their best but it, it's a it's a good one to go out on especially if it's a record that you know they're making because they have to at some point in the past i did i did an article about bands that don't break up and how how it's a problem because it, it just turns the band into this fucked up ink blot that just keeps bleeding out and becoming something totally fucking unrecognizable because right. the cure don't break up and you too don't break up and and you know REM doesn't break up and they keep putting out this shit under the same name that bears absolutely no resemblance to the thing that made that name matter. And it's so fucking brutal to the, the, the history, which anybody who's a music critic is obsessed really with history and what's historic. And it's impossible for you to make a good case. There's no way I can compress the good part of REM to a kid today and have them understand the weight that that had for kids then they're they're just going to think of all the things that keep happening in the present tense it's impossible they continue to trade on a name that was made in the past yeah and the the some of the value of a band like rem even and even at the time i was into them is so much about what they were not in that time at least for me i mean they were a band that you didn't have to have any special access to discover them or explore them um, especially in Georgia where I was, where it was just sort of around, I mean, even if somebody was, you know, even, even before they were as big as they became, you know, you, you knew jocks who liked REM and, uh, it was like an acceptable thing to be into and it was there and it was around, but it was a lot of, there was a lot of things that it was not. And you can't really, you can't really convey 
the that sort of negative value you know or like inverse value to to people who weren't in that time you know there's just no way to really to really bring them into that world they don't do themselves favors by keeping by staying around at least in terms of uh like how people think of them in historical terms or you know all the things you just said but I am very sympathetic to the artists who just kind of keep going and the ones who, you know, I mean, ultimately this is like their life's work And REM is like, has a, is a very weird category where it's like, these guys have really only worked with each other. And it's kind of like being in this super long marriage and, you know, maybe a marriage has ups and downs, but it's weird for, I mean, imagine that you just, you, the two people that are married, I think, like Chris, you're married. If like people were like, "Man, I hope they they get divorced," because I remember how cool they were when they first got together. And they're not cool <laughs> these days. You know? <laughs> like, you put it that, or like, man, like, <laughs> this guy's been at his job for way too long, and I think you know, like to a certain extent, like this is their lives, this is their jobs, and you know, as but it's audience, art. It, as it's audience art. members, you know. We're free to be like, oh, that sucks. I'm out. But no, no, you know, you're an like, art. That, you, like, like them just kind of continue, like, especially because REM is a band where, you know, like the entire back third of their catalog probably only exists because they were contractually obligated to do that work. No question, but I think you're conflating art and work. You're, 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 and REM has hard Art their- and work can be the same thing, you know? No, when I know it can. It can. When you when you have hung your hat on, you know, some level of of art and and single mindedness, a kind of a kind of a, an emotional indulgence, a, an identity, either as a band or as a person, you know, you look at bands like this, and it's I, the the comment I had made, particular to the Cure, was that there's a point at which you just become a zombie, and you're writing about yourself and you're writing about the, the, the reflection of your identity as an artist. The point at which you start doing that is the point at which you suck. And, and our, you, you said this explicitly in almost the same terms. Michael Stipe starts. He's just writing kind of fan fiction or something about himself. It's very there's weird. a really strange irony to calling that record up because he's trying to get it up. <laughs> <laughs> and <Yeah. he> can't. <laughs> That's fair. I think it's a really yeah, I think this is a lot of why I think it's very unlikely that R.E.M. are going to return. Why, like, I don't think they're going to be like at Coachella in five years. I think that they do. They are sympathetic. Like, OK, you know what? M- maybe we should have broken up like at X point, but we broke up now. Like, we don't need to, like, complicate matters further than we already did. So they blew the narrative arc when you break up and you go away, you know, you can't put childish things away unless you actually close the door to the closet and REM failed to do that. So you don't have the period of longing. You don't have the period of, I miss that band. You don't have the handoff from one generation to the next of the Pixies are the most important band in the history of the fucking world. Jane's addiction was the most important band in the history of the fucking world. You need cultural downtime for the, the impact and the historical value of that band to kind of reveal itself and to become burned in in the culture that would have, you know, the aspects of the culture and society that would have ever cared about that band. Uh, on the other hand, there is something that's kind of refreshingly non-narcissistic about just soldiering on, treating the band like a like a job. Bruce I Springsteen. Mean, it's, it's, it, 
it's a yeah. it may it may it may violate my precious vision of REM, which is very precious. Um, but you know, like they don't really give a shit about that, nor should they necessarily. And I mean, if they if they sort of uh, you know damage or or betray their their legacy in some way that was made up by other people, uh, there's something kind of like. At a, at a distance, there's something to respect and just kind of like, yeah, yeah but that's yeah, not my problem, you know? Because they're making art for like for themselves for the most part. They're just doing like, listen, we're, we're REM. For, for in the, in a lot of the end of their career, like Stipe would kind of introduce the band in shows like, we're REM and this is what we do. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, this is where they're REM and that's what they do. They make songs and they make records and they go on tour. You know, it's it's their job. Everybody here comes from somewhere that they would just as soon forget in disguise. 